wouldn't I wouldn't wish this view on my worst enemy, Seven, <laughs> let alone my co-host. I'm glad you got a big monitor though. That that's got to be good for the peepers. Yeah, no, it 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 helps. Uh, not not to mention productivity. Right. Um, the lifeblood of our uh, of our economic system, William. <laughs> Simon, would you mind welcoming our listeners back? Sure, folks. Welcome back to another episode of Maybe Next Time. I am your host, William, with my co-host Simon McCormack. Nets Nation, a promise made, a promise kept. The Lincoln Project has delivered Joe Biden to you. <laughs> we are Send about to build back better. That's right, baby. Eric Schmidt is a fucking genius. I knew I knew it before when he was a McCain's advisor, and I know it now. <laughs> um. Steve we, Schmidt, sorry, not Eric Schmidt. We are back as we are each and every unrelenting week to talk all things Nets Nation. Simon, uh, it got called today. There's that's, a, that's right. There's a new president-elect. If, if you are listening to this in the days that come um, when the Supreme Court uh, annuls the results of the election and hands it to Trump, just know that we're basing this on, you know, silly things like the AP, et cetera, calling the election. Right. Uh, we right. don't have all the facts in front of us that, uh, uh, that but- are great. Simon, just like I'm trying to be uh, more positive regarding the future of the Nets organization, I yeah. am trying to be more positive about the future of this country. We can okay. at least take today as a defeat of a demonstrably atrocious human being. And sure. let's not think about what might happen in the courts or... <laughs> Uh, anywhere else over the next several months before he actually <laughs> theoretically cedes power. Um, and take it as a W and yeah. use that, the, the high spirits are riding from that W to discuss a team that always feels like a W, even when they're deep in L's, and that's the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Sound good? We don't, we, I mean, I know everyone is tuned in because they'd love to hear us uh, talk about the Lincoln Project and why, <laughs> why, why we think that that's perhaps not the best strategy for the Democratic Party to embrace um, in the future. But I think they'd prefer to hear us talk about the Brooklyn yes, that That'll be available in our third spinoff podcast. <laughs> right. What the Schmidt just happened? <laughs> Exclusively about Steve Schmidt. <laughs> Why I don't really like it. Right. It's a 500 part series. Each part of the series focuses on one of the 500 members of this project to help swing the election. That's right. And then they take a deep biographical look at each member. <laughs> Where they amassed their no doubt massive fortune, and why the Democratic Party should be sycophants to them indefinitely. <laughs> That's right. That's okay. coming. Okay. So anyway, keep an eye out for what was it? What the Schmidt? What the Schmidt just happened? What the Schmidt just happened? <laughs> 
<laughs> Holy Schmidt. Holy Schmidt. <laughs> um, okay, but seriously, we are going to focus on Nets things today. I, I know I've yes. said this before, but I mean it this time. <laughs> Uh, first big bit of news in the last week, Simon, the yeah. trade deadline. So they've agreed on the season beginning on December 22nd, but they've moved the trade trade deadline up to November 26th, putting it two days, sorry, November 16th, putting it two days before the draft begins. So usually yeah. the trade deadline, the, the trade, um, begins, uh, after the draft. This year, teams can actually trade before the draft. Are you frozen or just disinterested? No, I'm, I'm here. No, no, I, I'm here. <laughs> I, I, but but they, it, it's usually way before the draft, right? Because, because I mean, like the D'Angelo trade happened before the draft. The Crab trade happened before the draft. Hmm. Good points. One and all. <laughs> I, I thought free agency happened after the draft, but free agency does, yes, and okay. and, and will again. But but I think the trade moratorium just lifts before pre pre draft every year. Okay, um, so draft, free agency, off season. That's what we're here to think about. That's what we're here to discuss. It's happening really really soon. That means in nine days. The, uh, the pe- people can start getting traded. Two days later, we're going to have a draft in which the Nets may or may not draft anyone. Uh, I'm going to begin with a question for you, Simon, uh, and we're just getting right into it. You know, we've, we're six minutes into the episode, we're going to start we're st- start digging into it. Question <laughs> number one: uh-huh. Who is the most likely Net to get moved? Um, thank you for the cue. Uh, I think the most likely net, I'm, I'm, I, I'm less sure of this than ever before. I really am, um, based on Steve Nash's press conference, but, um, I still think that Jared Allen is the most likely net to be, to be moved. Okay. I think because of his contract, uh, that he, I, I don't think that he will not get moved because I do think that, that there's a, a role issue with DeAndre Jordan around, which I think we may get into later, but, um, as we do literally every week, um, but I, I am increasingly of the mind that Nets are going to try to do something big. If they're going to do something big, they want it. It's going to involve money. And in order to to get money, you're going to have to involve someone good. They seem determined not to get rid of Karis LeVert, basically, unless it's for Bradley Beal. Um, and I think that means that the first person to move is going to be Spencer Dinwiddie. Mm, okay. Sure. And that makes sense. Um, Drew Holiday talk is ratcheting, ratcheting, ratcheting up. I don't know that there has been a week in the last <laughs> three months where the name Drew Holiday <laughs> has not been mentioned on this podcast. I hope you're not getting bored of hearing the name, listener. I know that, eh, you know, if I were injected with truth serum, I might, I might say I'm a little bored of hearing um, the talk about Drew Holiday. But... Do you think now that the Pelicans have have said explicitly that they're in you know 
looking to trade him, that it makes it more likely that the Nets are going to get him. What new Drew Holiday news is there from your perspective? Well, my perspective is, yes, I, I think the new information is that uh, Shams came out and said, look, they're, they're listening to, to trade offers. And David Griffin said explicitly, like, look, we might trade. Would they be very well? Like, he went further than just saying what, what you usually say is like, look, we, we have to do our due diligence. Got, you know, we, our phone, we can't just keep our phone on silent. We have to, like, let it ring and we have to pick it up. And if somebody on the other end says, hey, what's happening with Drew Holiday? We have to hear those words in our ears, but we're not looking to trade it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what you typically hear, even when it's not true. That's typically the, the public um, verbiage that's used around uh, players that could be traded. But Griffin went further and said, you know, they basically they said he might be traded. He might not be. Um, And that is different because our most recent check in with Drew, I think, was after they after the Pelicans hired Stan Van Gundy, which people view as a win now coach, as a coach that you might not want to trade one of your best players, um, where it might be hard to get equivalent value back, at least in the immediate term, uh, for. Um, and so now it seems like, oh, okay, well, definitely Drew Holiday could could be and seems likely to be traded. And um, the reason I kind of wanted to talk to him, talk about him, was not only to, to express that, but... Uh, uh, William is. I also just want to be honest with Nets Nation that I, at least I, have got Billy King deal fever for Drew Holiday. You, <laughs> you, you could, you know, right now is that I'm on the hook. I've got my mouth around uh, a hook here, and it's it's uh, gouging a deeper and deeper hole in my cheek. I am hungry for uh, Drew Holiday, and I think it is increasingly absurd. If this is in fact true, that the Nets won't part with Karis LeVert, and let's keep in mind, like, it's very possible the Pelicans don't really want Karis LeVert. You know what I mean? That's that's all sort of speculation, I think, and, and there may be better offers, you know, from Denver or whatever with Michael Porter Jr. You know, there could be any number of different teams out there with better packages. I'm not saying that the Nets have the best package if they include Karis LeVert. But I think it is completely insane to hold up a Drew Holiday trade if the sticking point is Karis LeVert. I know friend of show uh, Steve Lichtenstein disagrees. He just published a column saying the exact opposite, that if the Pelicans want to include, want Karis LeVert in the trade or it won't happen, then the, the Nets should walk away. I, I just think that that's ridiculous. Like the guy, you have to look at him being, and then I'll, I'll just do this quickly. I know I've been talking a while. I think you have to view Karis LeVert, not in a, in a bubble, uh, um, but in how he would be on this team. And on this team, if you are trying to go deep in the playoffs and maybe even win a championship, Karis LeVert is not going to be a focal point of the offense. Karis LeVert is going to get maybe 12 shots a game. Um, and if that's not the case, if he, if, if like Kyrie is hurt or something like you're, you're probably not going to get very far. Um, so uh, under the assumption that you do have a healthy 
Kyrie and KD, you don't need what Karis LeVert brings very much. You need somebody who is good at defense. And I wish that he was bigger, but he's not. But he is one of the best defenders that appears to be available. I don't know. How are you feeling? Yeah, I I don't have a whole lot of, of new thoughts or feelings on the subject of Drew, but I will say that I heard an interesting uh, podcast on the Ringers NBA show, their group Mm -hmm. chat, where they interviewed the Times PKU's Scott Kushner. Yeah, I listened to that. Oh, you listened to that. So one thing I thought was really interesting about that was that the New Orleans Pelicans beat reporter, local beat reporter, was basically saying that he knows that, like, around the Pelicans, Drew Holiday is really highly valued, right? But, like, on paper, he's only been an all-star one time. He's made two all-defense teams. You know, he's never made an all-NBA team. He's not a superstar. No, no. But, and so... Uh, what I found sort of surprising about what he was saying was that he thought that New Orleans sort of overrated Drew Holiday a little bit in terms of what they think they, they should get back for him. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, the way that I've heard the NBA in general talking about Drew Holiday, I think that that, that overrating, you know, maybe um, – uh, David Griffin's overrating of Drew Holiday internally has sort of seeped into the the bloodstream of everyone talking about Drew Holiday. They're talking (laughs) about him like, yeah, you sell off the team, you know, to get a Drew Holiday on your team. Like the guy was on a team with Anthony Davis for years and they won one playoff series. Mm -hmm. Um, So like he is not a player who's he's not like a LeBron James, a Kevin Durant, a Kawhi Leonard, like put him on the team and he's taking you over the top. So I think that that because of the scarcity of anyone interesting to talk about in trades, Drew Holiday's stature has been elevated perhaps a little bit beyond what it should be. That said, um, to your point, I think he makes infinite more sense on the Nets team than a Karis LeVert. Yeah, and I I, I just – my final thing on this is like, yes, though I do have deal fever and I think you could convince me to to perhaps overdo it on on Drew, um, I I just don't think that the – the packages I have heard of theoretical packages of the Nets giving up, like, the 19th pick, Kara Slipper and Jared Allen or something, is not an overpay at all. I, I, I just don't think those players are going to be nearly as important to you as Drew Holiday. Limitations that he has and all. I, I just don't, I don't see any way that that is not a completely fair deal for, for the Nets. Yeah. Um, one other, and I, I again, I, I completely agree. I think defensively he brings a ton. One other mild uh, concern I have regarding Drew Holiday, and this was a guy who, when we v- at very first started talking about free agents that we'd be interested in getting on the nets, he was like top of my list at the start, just because of mm-hmm. how well I think he'd fit on this team. But one other thing that was brought up in that that group chat podcast and a few other places is just how bad New Orleans team defense was this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the worst team defenses in the league. So we're expecting Drew Holiday to come into a team that is desperate for defense, and he will no doubt be 
if not the best defender on the court at any given time, you know, right up there <laughs> with like maybe if Jared Allen's on the court or something with him, you know, one of the two. The two together will be the only defensive players. Right. Um, but it's not as if you plug him in to your defense and you have a top 10 defense. He's not like a Rudy Gobert in that sense where he just mm-hmm. like elevates the entire like anchors a defense and elevates it to a, a to an astronomical degree. So again, he would be our best um, certainly guard perimeter defender, um, and he's a really good defender. But he isn't a, a, a transformational necessarily team uh, team floor raising defender. Yeah, no that that that's true. I, I think you would just have to hope that the Nets would make other other moves, getting wing defenders and things like that. Uh, around him and also that the Nets were the 10th I think best defense last year so hoping that even with adding Kyrie Irving you can still kind of you know you're still in the range of not a terrible defense without Drew but you know we'll see Um, All right, I want to do uh, three quick bets with you okay and you can you know well a few of them a few of them are yes no and You'll see how it goes. Uh, first one, though. How many nets do you think end up getting traded before the season? Great question. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say four. Uh, okay, Simon says four. I'm gonna say uh, two. Okay. Oof! Not not a, not a big turnover. No. Uh, sorry, my computer is not really working. Um, okay. So, you think four nets. That's a massive number of nets that would be leaving this team. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, th- I think we're going to get some kind of, like, bigger Im- impact player. If not Drew, then, then somebody else, I think, b- before the season starts. Um, okay. Do you think we keep our first round pick? This is the yes or no I, I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, no, I do not. Okay. And final one. Do we trade in this offseason any future firsts in addition to this year's first, which you've already said you think will get traded? I do think so. I think at least one is going to be going to be gone. Okay, uh, so I will take the opposite of what you said on all of these, and let's say it's for uh, a beer. Sure. A beer per? Make mine a seltzer. A hard seltzer. Okay, great. Uh, December 22nd, season starts. I'm going to be a little more um, engaged now because I'm not trying to write things down stupidly while we're podcasting. Um <laughs> bit distracting also <laughs> distracting is the um, UB40 and Carlos Santana <laughs> and other <laughs> other club bangers that have been blaring on the street yeah. since uh, that, since the uh, the announcement was made earlier today yeah that corner is is blasting I was over there earlier today yeah no the corner it's amazing um, we also went down briefly to Grand Army for uh, to see what was going on over there earlier today. Uh. Um, lots of people. Very a very energized atmosphere. Right. Um, anyway, 
December 22nd is going to be the start of the season. Simon, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Um, what do you do you think it has any implications for this this Nets team? Yeah, I I think that there is a chance that the Nets could do better than they otherwise would because two of the, their, their two best players will be fresh and for whatever amount of time that they play and are not hurt um, will be going up against at least some of the, some teams that played quite a bit and the the teams that didn't play quite a bit are ones that are probably not very good right um, there's an exception like the Warriors is an exception but mostly you're dealing with teams that are bad that are fresh right and teams that are good that played uh like a month ago um what do you think about the idea that this season since it's going to be a shortened season there's going to be a lot more back-to-backs and load management might play a bigger role uh we have seen the nets medical staff um (laughs) certainly lean on the load management in the past. Yeah. Uh, very, very slow, uh, slow return to play time for a lot of players who suffer um, injuries on the team. Yes. Do you think that we're going to see uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant playing in back-to-backs? Good cue. Um, I would guess some back-to-backs. I would guess they play in some back-to-backs, but maybe not all. And the, the other um, little factor um, of, of this season uh, and the Armageddon that is our reality is coronavirus, right? The, the not very under control, 100K a day um, coronavirus that is coursing through our country that will uh, probably cause people to get sick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing that will limit people's availability it's pretty wild the the uh shift in narrative around coronavirus in terms of and and how it relates to the nba um like before the bubble began there was so much hand-wringing about like if there's a single case it could bring the entire bubble to its knees yes um if anyone like the NBA will have blood on its hand, shut the whole thing down. It's way too much of a risk. And now it seems like after baseball and football, we're just like, yeah, you just keep playing through it. You know, uh, <laughs> the whole team's going to have to sit for a right. week or something like that. But now it's just like, you know, it's very obvious that people will be getting this pandemic and spreading it and, and are going to have to sit and things like that. But there doesn't seem to be any more of the, uh, the hand wringing and pearl clutching about it. Yes, totally true. Um, and a sign of how, um, quickly we are (laughs) grow accustomed to um, sickness and death. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Our new reality. Right. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of um, sickness and death, <laughs> uh, Barclay Center was a sickness and death-inducing place to try to enter. 
in the past. <laughs> but they've taken this opportunity during the plague, Simon, have you read about this, to improve ingress and egresses at the arena. Hey, uh, they've that... installed x-ray machines that hopefully are more effective than the metal detectors that they used to have. Uh, the double metal detectors. They made you go through what appeared to be a metal detector, and then they would have a poor uh, person um, be forced to rub that wand all over your body, usually quite <laughs> angrily. And uh, as as two people who routinely snuck things into that arena ineffectively. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And... So they're they're improving the ingresses and egresses that are there. They're adding these machines, and they're constructing apparently new entrances altogether, and in order to uh, reduce crowding. Yeah. So as two people who have carped on the agonies of entry to that stadium for a very very long time, uh, that's got to be a, a, an exciting new development, right? It is, William. This this is a story that's flying under the radar with everything else going on that I'm so glad you brought up because, um, first of all, I know you're an egress guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, ideal egress is really one of the few things I live for. And by ideal egress, if it's not automatically uh, obvious to our listeners, what I'm, sa- what I'm talking about is subway ideal egresses and uh, using harnessing one's OCD tendencies to uh, essentially try to figure out the exact right door in the exact right <laughs> car of every subway you take to to uh, line up with the ideal spot at which to exit the subway. Right. Um, it is, it's not a passion of mine, it is an obsession. <laughs> and... Um, the people close to me who ever have to ride the subway or when we could do such things previously uh, have all witnessed it and very patiently endure it, but it is it's a fun tick. <laughs> I, I think as far as, you know, your quirks go, it's one of your better ones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot more insufferable aspects to your character. No, I mean, it's, it, it, it's helpful. Um, so... Um, yeah, so I, I think this is great. I really do. I, I think that sort of like it, it is a good sign whenever you're like top dog. This was all being talked about by the new CEO. Is that his title? Or? Yeah, I think he's CEO. Yeah. Um, so so the guy who's doing non-basketball stuff, who's the head of non-basketball things for the Nets, Um it's great that he is like thinking about actual practical things that that could help people as opposed to whatever like big picture and and um, using like a bunch of jargony words about you know just things that don't make any sense and and don't appear to connect with like the lived reality of a Nets fan going to a game. Um, it's great that he's not doing that, that he is thinking about these things. And, and yes, entrances is a great place to start. Great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. It was just, uh, basically if I ever go to another big city during the NBA season, I do try to hit up a game. I went to a heat game and a, um, a jazz game last year Yeah, and went to a Blazers game the year before. And it's just, it's night and day. It's it at none of like, there are all of these stadiums generally are much more crowded 
than Barclays Center. And there is never nearly uh, close to the amount of hassle that there is to get into Barclays Center, which is insane. Yeah. Um, And has been a... I mean, you know, all of this seems totally abstract and like I almost feel a little bit nostalgic for the time when I would stand right. in a line irately. And like yeah. the thing I was worried about was like how long the line was going to take, not like whether I was going to certainly die from being in such close <laughs> contact with a whole bunch of other people. Right. So, yeah, you know, like bring back the days of long lines at Barclays, honestly. But like if if one thing that comes out of this uh you know, shut down is that that part of the visiting experience is improved. I think that would be a wonderful thing. Totally agree, William. Okay, let's get to our uh, special theme for the week, shall we, Simon? Sure. All right, so Simon has come up with a theme of the Electoral College net style so we'll be looking at things about the nets that don't make any sense and in some cases are actually harmful but we can't change them no matter how much we should change them so uh i think people are becoming increasingly aware of the absurdity of the electoral college and how you know 50,000 voters in um pennsylvania and (laughs) Nevada can end up swinging an entire entire election um, yeah. and how especially for a, a presidential election maybe something like a popular uh, vote might help to enfranchise uh, people might help inspire more people to come out and actually vote because if you live in you know uh, 43 of the 50 states, uh, your vote, you know, the way that the Electoral College is going to allot those votes is pretty much already predetermined. In New York, for instance, uh, it's going to go blue every year. And if you're in Mississippi, it's going to go red every year, uh, regardless of how you personally vote. So acknowledging the Electoral College is an absurd system set up by absurd, malicious, uh, you know, system set up by slaveholders and was a compromise in order to um, give southern states more power at the founding of this country um, and is something that should probably be cast off by 2020. It still is not. Uh, But we seemingly can't can't get rid of it. And we are going to look for Nets things that are similar to this. Obviously, um, nothing has the profound implications of the Electoral College <laughs> in Netsville. But, uh, you know, this is a, a quote-unquote fun uh, theme, wacky theme, that we thought we could dive into. I'm going to start with a T-ball, T-ball Electoral College net style for you, Simon, yeah. and then I'm going to pass it over to you. Okay. DeAndre Jordan yeah. starting. Yeah. <laughs> That's the obvious one. That's the one everyone feels in their in their gut. Why, oh, why, just because the guy <laughs> happens to be friends with KD and Kyrie Irving, and we are also overpaying him a tremendous amount, does that somehow mean that he should start over our extremely promising and already better 22- or 23-year-old center Jared Allen? Yes, yes, indeed. That that is the that yeah that that's the top of the heap in terms of 
electoral uh, college. Electoral co- yeah, exactly. That's that's the that's the popular vote at five million. Um, you know, right? It's a <laughs> candidate winning uh, by five million at least, uh, and um, eking out a victory. Barely eking out an electoral college victory. Yes. Right. Um, so mine, William, is Nets controlling their own draft pick. That has not happened since 2013. Mm-hmm. It won't happen this year, regardless of what the Nets do with the 19th pick, because that pick is not theirs. Uh, it's Philadelphia's, I think. Um, and uh, don't think it's going to happen. It may may well not happen for another, you know, for the over the course of a decade, right? I think we could get to 2023 we might actually have to keep one of them just because of the the, the way you can't like trade successive years right. picks. so maybe maybe we'll have to keep one That's but a, is that was that a rule that was implemented because of the yeah, nets yes exactly it, <laughs> yes the, the nets self-own um right. by uh, then the kevin garnett paul pierce trade yes it, it, it was um as, as you'll see from as you know fans know from you know, teams like the Clippers, teams like the Rockets, you can still fuck yourself pretty hard in terms of draft picks, but um, nothing like what the Nets were able to do themselves. No. Um, do you have another one? Uh, yes. My other one is fans. When are the Nets going to have fans? We live in a very populous borough, mm-hmm. in a very populous city. I understand the Knicks are, are king. But like the Mets have fans, um, you know the, the the Rangers and 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 um, and Devils are able to coexist despite being very close geographically. And Islanders uh, and Islanders and Islanders, yes, thank you. And 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 um, um, NYC FC and the Red Bulls coexist. There's there's all sorts of examples of of two teams in the same sport being able to exist in this massive, massive metropolitan area. But yet the Nets, even with Kyrie Irving, I understand he didn't play um, very much, but um, it's not like they sold out the games that he did play. Like, you know, there's still not a huge amount of buzz over there in in Netsville. Maybe that will change with KD, um, but it is kind of fitting to me that the year that Kevin Durant is supposed to play for us is um, COVID time. Like, I just I, think so that is, like, I, I know. It is perfect <laughs> in a really tragic way. Like, the, the first time the Nets might have a chance to really steal some shine from the Knicks, and yeah. no fans will be allowed in. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, I had that one, too. I, I, I sort of thought of it as the, the one-sided rivalry. Yeah, you know, like it's it's very yes. similar to Albuquerque versus Santa Fe, or or <laughs> or New Mexico versus Texas. You know, yes, like if you yeah. talk to any New Mexican, they hate Texas, <laughs> and if you talk to any Texan and you tell them about New Mexico, they're like, "Uh, they are they are they Americans?" <laughs> Why not Mexico in the title? <laughs> right. <laughs> I took a big chunk of green rock from there once. <laughs> but anyway, it's sort of, you know, like we, we always w- fantasize that we're sort of 
chipping away at the at the Knicks armor and sort of one upping them. And we got the two free agents that they thought they were going to get. And we're the we're the kings of New York finally. But you know, the end of the day. Madison Square Garden, if it can have fans, is immediately going to have a full stadium. And, uh, you know, maybe if if the Knicks are coming to Barclays, it'll be full um, or <laughs> or the Lakers or the Warriors. But if it's a if it's a, uh, a Nets Hawks game, that place is going to be crickets. Yes. Which is sad. But um, and, you know, had a real chance to change like. Kevin Durant could legitimately make this team extremely uh, appealing to a bunch of basketball fans in New York. But, oh, I guess we might we might not ever know. Yeah. Uh, Okay. well, that's a that's a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to be positive here. Um, I don't really have any other like. The uh, the other one I don't like the analogy because I kind of like this, but Sean Marks being extremely secretive, like mm, the front right, office right. never letting anything out that it doesn't want to get out. Uh, but that, unlike the electoral college, I actually respect and admire. Right, right, right. So it doesn't really work in that way. Anyway, <clears throat> Simon, next week we are going to do a deep dive. Into the draft. Uh, we are going to bring on draft guru slash insider James Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> he is our friend from the Brooklyn Block. Uh, he is a, a uh, irritant on Twitter, deliberately. <laughs> a troll, a Nets troll on Twitter. He's got very strong Brooklyn Nets opinions that we that we love. And he also knows more about the draft than either of us. Uh, we certainly will talk uh, fervently about the guys in the draft that we that we know and love. Oh, but yes. um, the amount of college tape that Simon and I are breaking down uh, poof, pretty much non-existent. We know. I... Truth be told, we don't know. We don't know squat about the college game. It's just stuff that we've been reading. Yes. And so, anyway, that's going to be next week. It's going to come out two days prior to uh, the actual draft, or four days prior to the actual draft. So we will have that for you, Simon. What? should people give us in terms of star ratings after they've listened to this episode? Folks, you may hate the Electoral College. You may love the Electoral College and dislike what we've just said to besmirch its its good name. But one thing's for sure, you've got to rate us five stars. Uh, Because if you and uh, you know once once we get our Eric Schmidt podcast off the off the ground, we'll be bugging you for those five stars as well for that. But for now, holy Schmidt! <laughs> maybe next time, give us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please, we we very much appreciate it. And please send us your comments, thoughts, questions, uh, feelings to maybe next time at gmail.com or. Send us direct messages um, on Instagram or Twitter at maybe next time. All right, folks. Thank you so very much for listening. And we will go ahead and uh, 
See ya next time. I was tired of my lady. We'd been together too long. Like a worn out recording of a favorite song. So while she lay there sleeping, I read the paper in bed. Columns, there was this letter I read. If you like Pina Colada.